2: Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect.
3: Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
4: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. And welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today's topic came um, from the co-host of Pop Stuff, one of our fellow How Stuff Works podcasts, Tracy. She came up to me one day and she said, hey, I've got an idea for stuff mom never told you. You and Caroline should tackle whether or not dieting is anti-feminist because uh and i was like hmm, that's a that's a good idea because the more i thought about it the more complicated the answer to that question quickly became yeah everybody has opinions on what you should do with your diet right because on on the one hand um you know, you can argue from the the choice perspective of feminism that, well, if you choose to diet and in terms of dieting, we're talking about like the, the typical like a caloric restriction in order to lose weight uh, and saying like, if that's your choice, then that should be fine. And then other camps saying, no, dieting should not be practiced because it only... Uh, I guess goes in like feeds oh pun there. It only feeds the the male gaze. You're only getting thin for ultimately paternalistic reasons. And then some people saying you shouldn't even look in the mirror to begin with. you know, there's a lot of and and in a good way, there is a lot of um, fat acceptance going around right now, and that definitely needs to happen. But then like it it just starts, it can be overwhelming though, if you just want to answer that question of dieting. Right.
0: Because when Kristen and I were talking about this topic, we were emailing back and forth about it. And I told her, I was like, I feel like I'm going down the fat rabbit hole here Yeah, because you start reading, you're like, okay, diets. Gender seems pretty straightforward, right? No, no, <laughs> not not at all. Because yeah, you can read the statistics on you know who's dieting, how much are they dieting, do, does it work, does it fail? Um, but then you start getting into well, if you diet, you're not a a, a good woman. Mm -hmm. You're you're being bad at being a woman, basically. Well, yeah, you're buying into this system, the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. But then there's people who say, well, I'm just going to eat whatever I want and I'm not going to let the doctor weigh weigh me, weigh myself, you know, at the doctor's office, because that's body fascism. Right. There's a lot of, like, extreme resistance to the idea of diets. And while I could go on a tangent about how I think diets are stupid, and if you want to take care of your body, you should, and you should just make a lifestyle change. and a
4: a lifestyle diet, the capital D diet of paying attention to eating wholesome foods. Exactly. But I'm not going to tell you that you should do that.
0: I'm not going to tell you that you should lose weight or not lose weight based on whether you're a woman, a man, a feminist, an anti-feminist, whether you're a child, someone who lives in another country, whether you're a puppy, I don't know. And
4: it's not just like uh, saying no to dieting, but, you know, the type of weight loss program they want to go to. But one thing I think that uh, that we can go ahead and establish is that there are a lot of companies making a lot of money off of a fat phobia mm-hmm. of all of this diet marketing um, that goes on. For instance, uh, the U.S. diet and weight loss industry produced over $60 billion in revenue in 2011 alone. So a lot of us are buying into it. And then, I mean, we could just tailspin off into conversations about whether or not processed diet food is really all that good for you. But it's big. The marketing is mostly targeted to women. I believe it was in uh, 2011 that Weight Watchers launched its first campaign toward men and sociological images, uh, a great blog that you should totally check out if you haven't before, uh, did a comparison of a typical Weight Watchers ad targeted toward women that's just like, oh, you, you know, you're, you're going to look so good. Eat these small portions of food. And, and I'm not trying to diss Weight Watchers. I also know that plenty of people have had success from that system and that's totally fine. Uh, but then when they had an ad for their men's launch, it was like, you know, get on Weight Watchers and eat like a man. It was still very, you know, it, there was obviously, it was obviously saying, you know, hey, we know that dieting is more this thing for, for women, but look, you can retain your masculinity and still do it. It's the same reason why Diet Coke exists and has like a nice uh, font and all, a lot of times in the commercials it is held by, you know, a thin woman who's watching a shirtless construction worker and then Coke Zero exists right. in black and there's, you know? Yeah. Why don't men ever, why aren't there ever men in yogurt commercials?
0: Because they're all eating manwiches. Right. On
4: their man diet. Yeah, there is no hungry woman brand of frozen dinner, which maybe I should start. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know why that just made me so sad. <laughs> Hungry woman. Hungry woman dinners. It's just yogurt, guys. <laughs> Guess what? Surprise. No,
0: and on the front, there's like just a cartoon picture of a woman like staring, de- holding a spoon, staring
4: dejectedly into her bowl.
0: <laughs> it's just
4: a frozen yogurt and salad. Aww. It's horrible. With no
0: dressing. No goodness a no. single cherry tomato
4: well let's get into some research because the sad thing too about this whole uh, the dieting question is that there is a seed that is often planted very early in little girls brains especially yeah that they do need to
3: change their shape
0: yeah we're so screwed. Um the aversion to fatness starts very young. This is a 1998 study from the Journal of Applied Developmental Psychology that found the existence of negative attitudes toward overweight people in kids as young as 3.
4: Yeah, and uh that also that that study also found that both uh boys and girls will adopt this fat is bad mindset. Um, but at the same time, overweight preschoolers also demonstrated stronger stigmatism. so it, it starts to compound because they are aware of of this um, fat phobia in our culture. Yeah and you know uh,
0: playing off of that these whole these attitudes about weight can be passed down from moms to daughters. This is a British Journal of Clinical Psychology study from July 2011 that found that mothers of high-restraint girls, basically that means high-restraint means they practice a lot of high-restraint behaviors as far as food goes mm-hmm. and calories. So mothers of high-restraint girls reported more between-meal snacking and fasting than comparison mothers. They also rated their daughters' attractiveness significantly lower than other mothers. There are a lot of... um like moving parts in the study that they looked at, like family dynamics when the mother has food issues and the daughter ends up inheriting those food issues from her mother because it's kind of a learned behavior. This happened, I mean, I don't think that I have terrible food issues or anything, but I watched my mother diet throughout my childhood. She wasn't even big. But I watched, I mean, I went to, she'd take me to Weight Watchers. I I sat in the lobby at the Nutrisystem building in the strip mall. Like, I went to a lot of, diet related activities with her
4: do you think that that as a result kind of increased your aversion toward dieting like seeing that endless cycle
0: it could be because it's not like she would go to Weight Watchers and come home and be like you know what that was great I feel really good about myself you know I met a lot of women who were also struggling and I'm gonna press forward or, okay, I went to Nutrisystem and I picked up my great meals. No, she would come home and complain about the meetings, complain about how hard it was, complain about how terrible the food was and cardboard and all that stuff. So I was just like, oh, why would you want to do that? I'll have another cup of ice cream, please.
4: <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Uh, yeah, and I would also be interested to see Um, if they expanded that study population from... uh, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to to look at that mother-daughter relationship, but I am sure that it can crisscross from fathers to children mm-hmm. uh sons as well especially we're seeing that more and more now with uh, uh younger boys having similar kinds of body image issues as we would typically associate with younger girls um and you mentioned the the highly restrained activities is like Ie, lots of portion control mm-hmm. going on, and uh, in that same issue of the British Journal of Clinical Psychology, there was a study tracking the rise of dieting in child childhood and adolescence, and it was looking at nine year olds and fourteen year old girls. And yes, they're they're dieting, and that's not to me that's not surprising at all, especially for the fourteen mm-hmm. year olds.
0: Yeah, but it is sad to think. Like I'm trying to think back to myself as a nine year old, and I think. To me, that just now, of course, sounds so young, like, oh, my gosh, you're such a baby, like, go play on the sandbox or whatever. But I remember being 10 and writing in my diary, like, I'm fat, I don't feel good about myself, you know, stuff like that. So it is terrible to know that, like, our cultural... Prejudices are seeping into children's brains.
4: Yeah, and, and though and those girls who are dieting would express lower body esteem and discontent with their body build, and they would have certain already even at nine and fourteen they would have trouble spots mm-hmm. that they would point out. And I remember, I remember similar things. You know, looking in uh, a Adelia's catalog, mm-hmm. and those girls' thighs did not touch. My thighs touched. I and I hate it. And I was, yeah, and it's that same age range. Yeah. Well,
0: there's, you know, we we mentioned that there's also issues with boys. This is not just uh, contained to girls and their dieting problems. Uh, a Rucker study found that similar to women and girls, boys were more likely to be dissatisfied with their bodies when they were relatively heavy and had low self-esteem. However... While weight status is usually the primary predictor of girls' body dissatisfaction, there's more at play for boys. It's kind of different. It appears that, according to the study, psychological factors like self-esteem may be more central to
4: boys' body perceptions. Whereas typically all it takes is girls just looking in the mirror and looking at everything around them and Starting to mentally compare, right? Um, and I mean, you also have to take into account when we're talking about uh, these kinds of dif- gender differences, the uh, beauty myth differences in the, and this is in big old air quotes, ideal body shape for a woman compared to an ideal body shape for a man. A lot of times, um, you'll have more men com- like complaining of being underweight because they don't have that that muscular V shape uh that is idealized uh in masculine culture as opposed to you know the thin, wispy, feminine shape. Although can you really I mean I don't know the it would even constitute feminine at that point when you get when you get so so bonesy about it. Can I rant for a sec? Please
2: Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated, PNC Bank a National Association, member FDIC.
0: Right. Well, you know, you, you talked about the difference between what men and women want to attain as far as that ideal uh, body shape. Um, and that just goes right along with a, an October 2005 study in the journal Sex Roles that found different motivations behind our potentially health-compromising diet behavior. So we're not talking about, like, having a healthy routine at the gym and a healthy, like, I'm going to eat a salad with dinner kind of thing. We're talking about health-compromising. Having a hungry woman dinner. Having a hungry woman <laughs> dinner and just crying. <laughs> I'm going to drink tears with dinner tonight, honey. Um, yeah, they found that uh, in their sample of this study, the majority of men in the study sample were overweight or obese, but they were more likely than women to be satisfied with their bodies. What's up with that?
4: Well, I think it's, it has to do a little bit with, um, different psychologies there. It mentioned that, uh, men don't consider, they don't label eating a lot of food at one time as binging in the same way. And the, and they also have more of an aversion to referring to something as, as dieting. Right. You know, it's not, it's not, it doesn't seem like it's quite as, Uh, this is good food, this is bad food.
0: Yeah. Well, they also point out that uh, as far as the motives behind the unhealthy behavior, men were more likely to engage in unhealthy, like crash diet uh, stuff if they were heavier. So like, okay, I'm heavier. I'm going to try to lose weight. Whereas women wanted to look thinner. They wanted to look much thinner than even the infrequent dieters did. So women, it was more about Appearance looking a certain way, men were just like, "Oh, I'm kind of heavy. I should lose weight." Mm -hmm.
4: Well, and this would be a a good time to point out this this theory uh, that was written about in Salon uh, in April 2011 by David Sirota, and he was talking about fat guy privilege, and essentially saying that there is a double standard uh, in the demand for physical perfection from women, while bigger dudes. Yeah, whatever. You're just a big guy, hey. Yeah, and yeah. one that I think of
0: all the time. Well, because this is something I I think about all the time. <laughs> but it, it is. It's like you see in all these sitcoms, like a guy like Kevin James paired with what's her name, the teeny tiny lady, who plays his wife on that show. And but that's okay. Right. Like that's socially acceptable. Big funny guy. Mm-hmm. Big funny people, whatever. Uh, paired with. Little teeny tiny women.
4: Well, and even think about um, uh, John Goodman and Roseanne Barr mm-hmm. on Roseanne. Like John Goodman was, you know, he he's awesome and he's hilarious, big guy. And then Roseanne always was getting like body snarked for being mm-hmm. a bigger woman, and her, you know, uh, she was portrayed as more of, you know, an old crab. And it was related in a way. I mean, it's partially just her her comedic style, uh, but I think it was a lot to do with that with that double standard because we don't, you know, it's not as much of an okay passable thing.
0: Yeah, it's not a liability for men Yeah, to be really big, like Chris Farley. Obviously, everybody loves Chris Farley, big guy, whereas female comedians or female actresses don't get that same consideration. It's like, ooh, I just see your weight first.
4: And perhaps that's why, as Serta points out, 90% of the commercial weight loss industry's clients are female, and, uh, th- it probably Weight Watchers waited so long to even target men because they haven't seen them as a viable, um, demographic. But I have a feeling though, we're going to see more of that as, uh, the, the beauty industries, it has started to pay far more attention to getting, stoking the fears of men. So, Welcome to crazy town, fellas. Yeah. Join us. Soon
0: hungry man dinners will be just as sad. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so, you know, we've touched on issues of like how it's more socially acceptable for a guy to be big. A woman should be small, but somehow with ginormous boobs and hips and all that stuff. Unrealistic expectations.
4: Yeah. So on that, it sounds like what we're saying now is with this question of uh, whether or not uh, it's okay for a woman to diet, and can she still be like a, a liberal-minded, pro woman, pro equality gal? Uh, no, right? You know, we we should just ab- abandon all of that and not buy into this culture. But then, <clears throat> but then it's also I I can tell you that I feel better, I have more energy. I am friendlier in general (laughs) when I am uh, not, not dieting necessarily, but I'm eating well and exercising and probably am slimmer than I am when I'm not.
0: Yeah. Well, that is part of the, is it more feminist to take care of yourself on a consistent, you know, lifestyle basis? Or is it more feminist to say, screw you, you guys are making me feel bad about my spare tire?
4: Yeah. And also like, uh, you know, you don't want to, it's like you're a cog in that giant machine and you don't want to comply. So let's, let's, let's first t- touch on some arguments out there. Cause some women certainly say like, uh, that dieting is a huge feminist issue. Cause yeah. it has to deal directly with our bodies and how we relate to the world.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, Jana Ficken and Esther Rothblum in 2011 had a, a great study, a great analysis that looked at the prices that women pay as a result of weight-based discrimination. Basically, that being overweight affects a lot of aspects of women's lives, whereas men don't receive They're not on the receiving end of that same type of discrimination.
4: Which would probably go back to that quote-unquote fat guy privilege that I mentioned earlier. And so as a result, and this was something that was initially um, written about in 1978 by Susie Orbach in the book Fat is a Feminist Issue. Uh, They argue that because women are held to higher standards of thinness, and suffer greater penalties if they don't meet that thinness ideal. Then, yes, this is a feminist issue, and we need to nip it in the bud.
0: Right. They are also argue that it's a feminist issue because it ties into the workplace. Uh, they looked at several different studies uh, about, you know, a fat woman wouldn't be hired, whereas a fat man would have no problem. Or people expressed prejudice like, well, I don't really want to work with a fat woman. And <laughs> this 1988 study about like people who don't want to work with fat women, um, they were rated negatively on supervisory potential, self-discipline, professional appearance, personal hygiene, and ability to perform a physically strenuous job. And that's crazy to me because all these, uh, these people in the study, the raters, the, they were rating, uh, written descriptions. It's not like they were looking at someone in front of them and judging whether that person could be a good boss. But it just kind of blows my mind that you would rate someone negatively on supervisory potential because they're overweight. Yeah. So that's a big argument that like, you know, if people don't want to work for or with overweight women, then that is a feminist issue.
4: Yeah, there's also, um, an interesting sexual orientation tie-in as well that was written, uh, in the, written about in the journal Sex Roles in October 2011 by Abigail Sagy and, um, she talks about how uh, with fat activism, uh, like the whole body acceptance campaigns, lesbians have been disproportionately active and outspoken in the fat rights movement. And she quotes British activist Charlotte Cooper, um, talking about how, while fat women typically internalize, quote, social messages of being second class, fat queers are, quote, a little bit more advanced in that we are able better able to reject homophobia or question assimilation um, and then going on to another essay in the fat studies reader from 2009 there's an essay by s bear bergman who um, identifies as transgender um, and is often perceived as a man two-thirds of the time and bergman is is larger and, and talks about how before um, identifying as transgender and, uh, and dressing as a woman, there was so much humiliation associated with being overweight, but being perceived as a big guy, it's completely gone away.
0: Yeah. Bergman was writing about how when being perceived as a woman, she would be followed, like people would be yelling at her, even described an instance where in a restaurant, you know, she would ask for butter or something, and they would be like, nah, they would conveniently forget to bring it. Whereas when identifying as a man, he was treated like, hey, dude, you're an awesome guy. (laughs) You're funny. You're great. Like, nobody looked askance when he was shopping for clothes at the store, whereas as a big woman, people are like, oh, my God, look at that woman shopping for big clothes.
1: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
2: Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect.
3: Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
4: So again, it seems like things might be stacking up uh, in favor of saying, no, dieting, we're just buying into this horrible system and we need to change that, right? Uh, but there's still, uh, there's still another side of that argument and Kirsten Gruz knows about this firsthand she is a sociologist and she's also writing a book that's coming out in spring of 2013 called mirror mirror off the wall uh, that documents the 365 days she spent not looking at herself in the mirror and uh, she wrote a post for uh, societypages.org talking about how she is she's a recovered anorexic and that process made her a feminist. Uh, but now she wants to lose some weight and she is incredibly conflicted about it.
0: Yeah, because the whole thing is like, OK, well, I, I found myself at, a, at an uncomfortable weight for me personally. And, you know, I'm in I'm in kind of tricky territory because as a recovering anorexic and someone who considers herself a feminist, like, am i allowed to lose weight will people judge me will it be dangerous will it be bad for me and so she says given the patriarchal bargain of weight loss being radically anti-diet as a political stance doesn't always fit comfortably as a personal stance
4: right because uh, i guess the way that it has been framed unfortunately because of all of the the fat phobia and the thin privilege that exists in our culture that we don't want to support when it comes down to our personal choice of perhaps wanting to lose weight, perhaps wanting to go on a diet. Um, For instance, Emily McCombs, um, who is an editor over at Exojane.com, wrote a post about how um, she diets because she has an unhealthy relationship with food and she needs that kind of structure or else there will be a tailspin and That's simply how it's going to have to be. It doesn't make her less of a feminist, but for her, that's what works best. But then other people say, don't use choice feminism as a cop out. You know, just acknowledge, call a spade a spade and say, yeah, at some point, like we are just buying in, but you want to diet.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was the argument that just because you're a woman and you're doing something doesn't make it feminist. But that's okay because it's really not anybody else's business what you're doing with your body or your weight, whether you're eating right and exercising or not.
4: Yeah, I just wonder if, um, I don't know if we're, we're too, I don't want to say if we're like too concerned about it because obviously body image, having nine year olds dieting, that is, that is not a sign that we are in a healthy place as a, like a collective, right. um, community, but, if, if I am stressing out over, you know, choosing to be choosier about my food for a little while because I put on more weight than I wanted to, then should I feel some kind of feminist guilt? No. I, I don't know that that's a good sign of things either. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why this, uh, like we said at the beginning of this podcast, answering this question was perhaps more complicated than, than we thought it would be.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's an issue of control. Uh, Ariel Stallings over at alternate.org wrote that when you buy into the idea that thinking about food makes you a victim of the patriarchy. There's a certain loss of control. So there's a potential loss of control everywhere. Right. Because you're going to lose control as a feminist or you're going to lose control as a thin person or as a fat person or as, you know, someone who's worried about the patriarchy and what society wants from us. It's like, oh, who am I answering to today? Uh, so, in, you know, in that regard, I uh, just it's like, just eat a sandwich
4: or don't eat a sandwich. <laughs> but stop stressing me out about it. Right. Is that a cop out? No, I don't I don't think that um I don't think that's a cop out at all. Because if we all right, so let's let's take it one more time, like to the extreme other side, saying like, absolutely food is a feminist issue. This was uh coming from Heather Lane Talley and she was writing about the uh the new USDA guidelines that instead of getting rid of the food pyramid and having um my my plate, you know, the nice little plate with it all portioned off showing you Uh, how many leafy greens and such that you should eat. And she says that, you know, nutrition is merely a trope that employs scientific neutrality to disguise body fascism. She went to a doctor. She refused to get on the scale. The doctor was like, what? And she was like, don't be a body fascist. I don't. It's when we get into, we swing into that territory, that's when I say, okay, that's, I, I'm going to go ahead and I'm fine saying that I, In my opinion, that is too far because you can't get away from the relationship between nutrition and diet. And yes, like I, I think it's also difficult to make a blanket statement about whether or not dieting is an appropriate choice because, you know, some people are going to finger wag and say like you're only doing it to serve the male gaze, not, you know, paying attention to the fact that everyone has a little bit of a different relationship with food. You know, Mm -hmm. some people are stressed eaters. Some people are emotional eaters. Some people are stressed non-eaters. I have to pay, in my experience, I have to pay more attention to how much I'm eating if I'm stressing and freaking out. Yeah. Okay. So listen,
0: we've been back and forth about this, about is it feminist to go on a diet? Is it
4: anti-feminist to go on a diet? Is this even a question we're asking, or should we, as Caroline said, just eat a sandwich?
3: <laughs> eat a sandwich and leave me alone.
0: <laughs> well, as feminist writer and activist Audre Lorde said, Caring for myself is not a self-indulgence. It is self-preservation, and
4: that is an act of political warfare. And I think, Caroline, may I speak for the both of us and say, that is where we stand on this issue of... Dieting. Yeah. I, I
0: want to take care of myself and I think you want to take care of yourself and you know what? (laughs) I mean, do what's right for yourself. Be healthy. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. Right.
4: (laughs) Right. It's not where it's, I think you can say too that, that dieting is not inherent advocating, um, inherently advocating for uh, a thinness ideal either. It's yeah. more trying to look at it from a health perspective. And maybe it's just also a call to just change our uh, collective definition of diet. Yeah. That's what we, you know, we're always on a diet. But why does we eat the, every day? Yeah,
0: and I don't understand why the opposite of diet and thin privilege and the idea of the ideal thin body. Why does the opposite of that have to be? I'm going to eat whatever the whatever I want and not let anyone weigh me and not weigh myself and not be conscious of what I'm putting in my body. Like, isn't there a happy middle ground I think somewhere? so. I definitely think so. So, yeah, that's my confused two cents.
4: <laughs> yeah, thank you, Tracy at PopStuff for asking us a really complicated question. Uh, but now it is time to turn it over to our listeners because I have a feeling that... Uh, considering the, the vast number of women who go on diets, there was also, I didn't throw this statistic out, but there was a survey, granted it was published by, or commissioned by the Laughing Cow Cheese Company, mm. but it was reported on in the Telegraph saying that uh, w- the average woman will diet for 31 years of her life. And with mm. that, that's that's... Ooh, that's really a lot. Um, but for folks out there who have grappled with this uh, aspect of dieting, specifically for weight loss, want to hear from you. Let us know your thoughts. at discovery.com is where you can send them. And, of course, you can also head over to our Facebook and start a conversation over there. And before we get to a couple of listener, listener letters that we have, we've got a quick message from our sponsor. And this episode of Stuff
0: Mom Never Told You is brought to you by our sponsor, Audible. If you head over right now to audiblepodcast.com slash stuff mom, that's right. That's audiblepodcast.com slash stuffmom. You get a free download. A free download of what you ask. Well, Audible is an incredible online library of a million bajillion titles that you should check out. And we do have a recommendation for you by author Jessica Valenti. Her book? why have kids a new mom explores the truth about parenting and happiness so go over to audible podcast.com slash stuff mom and check out all of the great books they have to offer
4: and now back to our letters Uh, i've got one to kick things off from jessica and this is in response to our episode a while ago on women and nfl football She writes, I've been a huge football fan for most of my life since I come from a family of rabid New Orleans Saints fans. Who dat? Go Saints. (laughs) And I recently started my own small blog and Twitter account to channel my obsession. At first, I was really excited to find out that there were a number of other female NFL bloggers out there, but was somewhat disappointed to learn that most sites tend to emphasize the stereotypically gendered topics of fashion, party planning, and off-the-field celebrity aspects of football and players far more than the game itself. On the one hand, I'm excited to see a game I'm passionate about take hold with a growing audience of women, including many of my own friends, but I also feel like the pageantry that surrounds this kind of marketing signals that women still need a safely gendered entry point into football fandom. Of course, can you really blame them when you look at how the NFL mainstream media operates? In broadcasting, female reporters are always relegated to the sidelines during games to talk about the personal interest side of the story, injuries, and coach player soundbites, while men always call and analyze the actual game itself. I don't know that I could even count on one hand the number of women who write about football regularly for mainstream websites like nfl.com, Deadspin and Bleacher Report. From the outside looking in, I'd say it's still incredibly tough for smart women who know their football to break through this arena without assuming sanctioned roles from the sidelines of a tailgate. Still, I'm hopeful that the growing NFL female fan base produces a ton of knowledgeable diehards in the long run, baby tees or not. Uh, And you can visit Jessica's NFL blog at ladyblitzfootball.blogspot.com. And
0: here's an email from Tracy about our Child Caregivers podcast. She wanted to share her own personal experience with the issue. Uh, She said that my brother and two sisters took care of my mother. She suffered from heart and kidney disease brought on by lupus. My parents divorced shortly before her health declined and our father disappeared. My mother pulled myself and my younger brother out of school at the ages of 12 and 13 to take care of her. My sisters were just old enough to work full time and they paid for all the bills, working long hours to do so. They would help out around the house as best they could when they were off work. My brother and I administered her medications, including giving her home dialysis, cleaned her bedside commode, bathed her, cooked and cleaned, and took care of my sister's autistic son while she was at work. We took care of her until her death in 2001 when I was 23. It was extremely difficult for all four of us. Thankfully, we had each other to lean on, and we're all still very close. Despite the tremendous responsibilities we faced with our sister's support, my brother and I got our GEDs and went to college. Thank you for doing this podcast. I hope that with the support groups out there, young caregivers have somewhere to turn for assistance. So thank you, Tracy.
4: And thanks to everyone who's written in to discovery.com. And like I said, you can head over to our Facebook page, like us, and start a conversation over there. And follow us on Twitter as well. You can tweet us at momstuffpodcast. And you can also follow us on Tumblr. It's stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com. And if you would like to learn more about healthy eating, there are lots of articles about it at our website. It's howstuffworks.com.